So when we listen to listen to the pastoral updates, often you can be forgiven for thinking that it's all it's all bad news. It's all um, it's, the world is full of suffering, full of accidents, full of um, people not taking responsibility for their for their own actions and uh, and people suffering as a result. But of course, it's not it's not all bad news. There is good news out there. And today we're talking about a prayer-filled life. What it means to have a prayer-filled life. How we can benefit from having a prayer-filled life. I'm going to read the passage and some of you will be experiencing a certain sense of deja vu because um, uh, it's, it's from Matthew chapter 6 and you'll remember that last year we spent, um, spent several months going through um, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, those of you who regularly attend evening services will also know that we looked at the Lord's Prayer, which is contained within this passage today, um, in a series in the evenings. And so for some of you, you'll be thinking, oh, not this again. But this is what Jesus taught us about prayer. It's so rich that it's important that we bear it in mind in our prayer life and that we use it to guide us. So it comes from Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So sometimes prayer doesn't feel right. Sometimes we can pray and saying something short and snappy that only takes a minute, perhaps less, to come out with doesn't feel like you're doing it right. Sometimes it does feel right to tell God everything to blurt out what's going on in life and, and, and to, to fill him in. Sometimes it's, it's um, we can act as an advisor to God. Lord, I can't understand why you've let this happen. You really should have done this. My suggestion to remedy it will be this. Other times we can, we can almost chastise God for what's going on. I can't believe you've let this happen to these people. They're such good people. Lord, please, protect them. 
give them, give them strength. Do we, do we think God doesn't know that? Do we think God doesn't know how to handle certain situations? The challenge of the Lord's Prayer is in the fourth line. Your will be done. You see, when we come to God in prayer, we're, we're, I know we've heard this before, but we shouldn't come to him with a shopping list, with a list of requests. Please do this, please do this, please do this, please do this. Thanks very much, amen. Instead, we should come saying, Lord, I don't understand this situation. I don't get why, why these things are happening, why this family's been involved in a, in a car crash, why Eva's being, being called home. I don't get why there is so much pain and suffering and heartbreak in the world. But your will be done. That's an act of faith. That is an act of complete faith. To say to God, this is beyond me. I cannot understand it. But whatever your will is, may that be done. No matter how hurtful, no matter how painful, no matter what is involved in it, your will be done. I think I've mentioned before this, um, this example, but it, it, it came to me as I was preparing. Um, I used to do a bit of kayaking when, when, when I used to work with the air cadets and um, we, were, we were down at Paper Mill Lock one day and there's a, there's a weir about a mile downstream. And we went up to this weir and um, we, were, we were sort of paddling about in kayaks and someone said, right, who's going to go over the weir? And we had, we had a group of cadets with us and we were all proficient paddlers, some better than others. I, I, was never, I never did any badges or tests or anything, so um, I was probably the least qualified out of the lot. But I was, I was there as a member of staff. We had sort of 14, 15-year-old kids and I thought, well, pff, I'm not going to be outdone. And so one by one, people went down. And I don't know if, if, if anyone's familiar with the weir. It's, it's, not, it's not huge, but it's a decent-sized weir. And um, you sort of, you have to paddle up to it quite quickly and you sort of, the, the boat reaches tipping point and then suddenly you go down and you just have to keep the boat straight. And if you keep the boat straight, you go and then you bob up and it's all okay. And everybody did it. And I was, I'd been the, the member of staff that had stayed at the top while everybody else went down and then I was the last one down. And I was, I'd watched everyone else do it and normally, when you, when you watch something done enough times, you kind of you pick up how it's done. You, you kind of get the idea. But I didn't on this occasion. I was, I was really quite fearful because I thought, That's, that water at the bottom, it's all you know, weird like, it's bubbling away, it's white water. It, I thought, I don't really want to go down there. I'd rather get out of my boat and walk. But you can't do that when you've got a group of teenagers with you. You just lose all credibility and you'll never live it down. So I thought, I've got to do it. So um, I, uh, I went paddling up to the weir and you, you feel the bottom of the boat grind over the lip and then eventually it goes, you're flying down and as soon as I started going down, I don't know what I'd done wrong but I felt myself turning and as soon as you start turning, you've had it. There's nothing really you can do um, and so I, I hit the water at an angle, rolled over and I was upside down moving quite fast. Thankfully, I had a crash helmet on so I could feel my head every, every now and then. There'd be a, a, a log or some gravel or something and you'd feel your head grinding along it. And, um, yeah, I was upside down. Now, the thing that we've been teaching cadets time after time after time, don't get out of your boat. If you go upside down, um, firstly, the, the boat is this huge 
brightly coloured thing. People can see it. What you're supposed to do is reach around, if you, if you imagine you're upside down in the boat, um, you sort of, you, you reach around to the top of the boat and you, you go bang three times. You go bang, bang, bang. And the boat's like a great big drum. It's, it's when, when someone bangs it, especially when they're panicking because they're underwater, it's loud. And uh, anyway, that's what you're supposed to do. And I didn't do that. Because what I found is when you fall into cold water and you're moving at quite high speed and your head is being bashed around from all these things under the water, it's, you've got your eyes closed but it'll be pitch black anyway, you don't really want to calmly just reach up and go bang, bang, bang and then keep your hands up there feeling until someone paddles up to you and you can use their boat to pull you around. You don't want to do that. You just want to get out. That is, that is, the, that is the, the natural response. You just think, how can I get out of here as quickly as possible? So anyway, there's a cord on the front. You pull that and it breaks the seal so you can get out of your boat. And that's what I did. And very quickly, I sort of bobbed up in the water and I was still moving. Eventually, I managed to grab a tree trunk or something that was a branch that was sticking out and I managed to stop myself drifting. And two guys were very close to me. They'd seen me go over in the water and they'd been paddling and paddling and paddling. If I just waited for another three or four seconds, they would have got to me and I would have been able to right myself. What I, you see, I acted on my own instinct. I wasn't happy with the situation I was in. I was, I was terrified and it wasn't pleasant. I couldn't really see another way out. I didn't know what was going on on the surface. I didn't know that there were people coming to rescue me very, very quickly. And so I just pulled the ripcord. I did what I thought was best, even though it was contrary to what I've been told. And the result then is that, of course, the seal has been broken, the boat is still upside down, it starts filling with water, and it's very difficult, because a, a kayak is quite narrow, it's very difficult to climb back into a kayak. And especially when it's half full of water, it just sinks. And so what you then have to do is find somewhere along the riverbank to get out, get your boat out, empty it, and it's, it's a lot of faff. It's a lot of messing around. Now, the reason I mention that today is because I went into a situation that I wasn't really good enough for. I wasn't really prepared for. I hadn't thought it through. I didn't have the courage to recognise it and say, I should have said right at the start, I've never done this before. I'm going to take the easy route. Pride got in the way. and So I got myself into a situation that I should never have been in. When I actually went over... I felt myself turning. There was nothing I could do. It was out of control. And I knew for the second that I sort of started approaching the, approaching the weir, as soon as I hit the bank, I went past the point of no return, I knew that I wasn't dead straight. I knew it was going to end badly. And yet I knew that I'd been taught how to deal with it. I knew I'd had the instruction, if you go over in the water, don't panic is the first thing. I panicked. Don't pull your ripcord, I pulled that, just, just do the banging on the, on the boat, reach around, try and find it, you'll get yourself out, you, you, someone will come and rescue, you'll be rescued. I didn't have faith in the people around me. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't leave a blank for us to give our list of requests. There isn't a bit in there where we can give God some advice on how best to handle a situation. The only opportunity we have 
to influence the outcome of any given situation is to say, your will be done. Your will be done. Jesus models that elsewhere. We see him when he's praying in Gethsemane. We're told in in Matthew 26, verse 39. In verse 38, sorry, he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. So Jesus himself gets, he gets, he deals with situations in life where he's terrified. He's, he's, he's troubled to the point of death. He's overwhelmed. This is Jesus we're talking about. We don't think of Jesus as being overwhelmed by anything in life, but the Bible tells us he was. He became sorrowful and troubled. He knew what was ahead of him. He couldn't see a way out. He was sorrowful and troubled. He was full of fear. He says to, he says to the guys with him, he says, wait here, keep watch. We're told, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus asks God, he says, Lord, I don't want to go through with this. Is there any way, any possible way this can be done differently? But, if the answer is no, your will be done, not mine. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to renounce my faith. I'm not going to deny who I am. Your will be done. If I've got to go through with this, I will go through with it. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep, keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Your spirit is willing. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus accepts there might only be one way through this and it might be the way that involves the most pain and the most suffering the most fear, the most ridicule it might be the way that ends in the gruesome painful death that he was well aware was awaiting him he's obedient to God if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away your will be done. And then we're told that a third time, once he'd gone back and found the disciples sleeping again, a third time he went back and he prayed the same thing. So three times Jesus goes to God and acknowledges his fear, acknowledges the terror that he feels at facing a situation, that he's overwhelmed with it all. But he hands it over to God and he says, your will be done. Now, as Christians, we, we know that God's will is, is, is the only way that things should be done. God's will is the right way, whether we understand it or not. The Bible says that, that God has a path for each and every one of us, planned out. Our lives are planned out. And his will is that we follow that path. And sometimes that path 
will involve suffering. It will involve pain. It will involve tragedy at times. The Bible doesn't say that that following the path that God's got planned for us is easy and we see life examples, people like Jeremiah who followed God's plan faithfully and had a torrid time of it. Life is not a bed of roses. And so when we pray, when we come to God, no matter what our situation, no matter what our background, Lord, your will be done. If we're completely honest with one another, sometimes sitting in church can be a bit boring. Sometimes you have the same old preacher preaching in the same old style and people sit there and think, yeah, here we go again. There'll be, some, there'll be some scripture and some teaching, then there'll be a funny story, then there'll be a bit more scripture, then there'll be a prayer, and then we'll all go and have coffee. Same old pattern. And you get into a bit of a rut and you look forward to the moment that a speaker blows up or, or a light bulb goes or a sign falls over, just anything to break the, the monotony, something you can remember. Someone once said to me um, that they're a big fan of cruise ships and they've been on a three-week Caribbean cruise. And I said, God, you know, I've never been on a cruise. That, that sounds brilliant. I love the, love the Caribbean. I, that sounds awesome. And they said, yeah, it was, it was. But even though I like cruises, after three weeks on a cruise ship, when the waters are calm and the sun's shining, you kind of find yourself saying to the crew, are we due any storms? You want a bit of excitement. You want something to rock the boat, to, make, to, make you, to, to wake you up, to shake you. James tells us to give thanks when we endure hardship. Sometimes in life we need to go through suffering and hardship, the difficult times. If we wake up every morning and the sun's shining, we'll get sick of the sun shining. We need the the bitter cold to remind us to appreciate the sunshine. So when we're going through these times, what is our prayer? Lord, please end the suffering. Lord, please save my child. Lord, please take away the tumour. Or is it, Lord, your will be done? God demands obedience from us. When we look at the call of Levi, we just see a tax collector sitting on his own in a booth. We see a whole crowd of people following Jesus, listening to his teaching, hanging on his every word. Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Levi drops everything and goes. It's not, Lord, I've just got to clear my entry. Or, Lord, I've got people coming around tonight, I'll follow you tomorrow. Lord, I just need to, to ping off a couple of emails, I've got to make a phone call. I'm just going for coffee. I've got to deal with the situation and then, and then, you'll have my attention. That's not the way Levi works. Levi gets up and goes straight away. It's pure obedience. Now, we don't know, we don't know what triggered that obedience, but what we do know is that that evening, the Pharisees 
the lawmakers, the, the, the people who were incredibly educated and understood the Jewish law. They studied the Jewish law. They, they lived lives that, that, that revolved around keeping the law. They were the ones sitting on the outside. They were looking in at Jesus, Levi and other tax collectors and sinners sharing a meal together, breaking bread. Jesus demands obedience. There's a parallel with the great banquet where we see Jesus telling the story of a man who was wealthy and was preparing a huge feast, a feast like none ever seen before. And when everything's ready, when the food is cooked and the tablecloths were laid and all the cutlery was set out, it's about the time in our house when we have people around for dinner that I suddenly come down the stairs and say to Joe, can I help at all? If you time it right, you can still get the brownie points and you don't have to do anything. I'm just, I've just about got that to a T, haven't I? <laughs> yes. Um, but you see, at that point... He calls his servants and he says, send out the invitations. And he's got three friends that he wants to invite. These three people that he has said, I want them to come. And he's been talking about this invitation. He's been planning it for a long time. They know, they know it's coming. And he sends his servant. And the servant knocks on the door of the first one and says, guess what? It's tonight. The feast's ready. The food's cooked. It's brilliant. You're going to love it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. You're, you're coming. Top table. You're going to be sitting there with my master. And the first response, I'd love to, but I've just bought a plot of land. I've just bought a field and I need to go and look at it. I need to go and check it. I need to go and make sure it's going to be suitable for for what I want to use it for. So I'm really sorry, but I can't go. The servant goes on to the second friend, knocks on the door, and again the guy comes to the door and the servant says, guess what, the feast is tonight. The feast is tonight. Your invitation is here. It's all ready. Everything's ready. You want to see, you want to see the hall. It looks outstanding. The food. Oh, you're, you're in such a treat. This is going to be awesome. And the guy says, oh, you're joking. Tonight, look, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I can't make it tonight. I've got to go and, I've got to go and check them out. If one of them's diseased or, or something, then I need, to, I, need to, I need to break the deal. I can't do it. I've got to go and see these oxen tonight. Tell your master, thanks, but I can't make it. And so the servant goes on to the third one, knocks on the door. The guy quietly opens the door, sticks his head out. What's the matter? And the servant says, you know, the feast, the feast that, that my master's been preparing for you, but it's ready tonight. Everything's set out. It's, it's going to be awesome. The place is decorated. People are coming. The food's ready. Everything's there. It just needs you. The guy says, listen, this is, this is a bit awkward. I got married last week. And uh, she's, I can't, she won't let me out at short notice. I need to be here, sorry. Um, I'm sure the master will explain, you know what they're like. Um, anyway, I can't come. And he shuts the door. And so the servant goes back to the master and explains what's happened. And the master says, where are they? Where are my three friends? Where are these people that I invited specifically? I've got their name cards on the table. Where are they? And the servant explains that the first one had somewhere better to go. The second one had something better to do. And the third one had someone they'd rather see than be with 
the master. Did I get a second invitation? No. Instead, the master says, go out into the, 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 the streets of the city. Get the, the blind, the lepers, the lame, the poor. Get them in. Everybody, get them in. The servant does that and he comes back and he says, there's still, still more space. So the master says, go into the country lanes. Look in the hedgerows and the ditches. Get them in. Get them in. Because not one of those people that were invited specifically those who had somewhere better to go, something better to do, someone better to be with, not one of them is going to get even a scrap from my table. When we parody that with the call of Levi, we see the importance of being obedient to God. Of having the the obedience, the strength of faith to say, Lord, this is killing me. I can't cope with this. I'm breaking under the strain emotionally. But your will be done. Whatever it is, whatever you take away from me, your will be done. That is such a hard, hard teaching. It is such a hard lesson to learn. And yet, it's paramount to our Christian faith. That is what it means to put God hopefully none of us will ever find ourselves in a situation where we have to deal with those examples that I used earlier but we might well do on a daily basis people do in the world people do suddenly find themselves confronted with, with tragedy and with heartache and that's when we hand it over to God saying Lord You are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You have all the power and all the glory over the whole world, throughout the whole universe. You put the stars into space. You have a plan for each and every one of us. And even in my darkest hour, I will not be broken in my faith in you. And so, Lord, your will be done. There's a bit that we add on as well, isn't there, to the Lord's Prayer. You see, when Jesus teaches, it finishes, finishes, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bit of a depressing way to to end a prayer, isn't it? When Jesus teaches us how to pray, you think, oh, come on, there must be be an uplift at the end, surely, end on a positive and everything. And I think it's right, personally. I think it's good that we do add to the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The reason I think that that is good is because Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture that the kingdom of God is in us. And so when we say, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours forever and ever, what we're saying is, we, we and your glory and power are yours. If the kingdom of God is in us and we're dedicating the kingdom to him, 
we're dedicating ourselves to him. That dedication is important. It reminds us that, that we, are, we are subject to the, the, the suffering and the pain and all the, the bad things in the world, but we are also, above all else, subject to God's love. We are subject to his salvation. We are subject to his promise that if we follow him, death is not the end. Instead, death is simply the transition from our earthly life to a life in heaven where there will be no suffering, where there will be no tears, where there will be no death, no disease. The power and the glory of God will last forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God whose power and whose glory, whose size, we simply cannot fathom. But Father, we know that you are a God that intimately cares for each and every one of his creations. Father, we've heard today about some people in our congregations and some people who are known to us who are suffering. Father, may your will be done. Father, this week at Perry Street there's going to be Life Expo with a thousand children coming through in the next ten days or so. And Father, we don't know what your plan is for their lives and we would love to see them all having safe, happy, prosperous lives that, that that have, have you at their centre but Lord in each one of those little lives may your will be done Father we don't know what your plan is for David Saunders as he began chemotherapy this week Lord may your will be done Father we lift up Eva Father in that situation may your will be done for this family that were involved in in a pretty awful road accident last night Father may your will be done in each of our lives as we go through the week ahead whatever we face whoever we meet wherever we find ourselves Lord may your will be done Father we we commit ourselves to you. You are our Father in heaven. Your name and your presence are holy. Father, one day your kingdom will come. Until it does on this earth, may your will be done. Father, we pray that each day you will provide for us all the things that we need to get through. Father, we pray for your protection. We pray that you will help us to forgive others 
as we enjoy the forgiving love that you bestow upon us. Father, steer us away from evil. Because, Lord, we are yours. The power is yours. The glory is yours. And will be now and forever. May your will be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.